we ask this time as we look at your word, we ask you to guide and lead us, show us what you miss. And Lord, we ask for health on all of our people that are getting sick, that you know what's going on and that you'll bring supernatural healing on people and help them get better and so they're not sick over Christmas. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, we're going to be starting at verse 28. We had the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus went up onto the mountainside with his disciples. He told the disciples to go go ahead of him, and then he slipped off, and, and, and we had the event of walking on the water and, and all of that. And the people finally found out where Jesus was, and they swarmed over to him, and we, and we, and we left off. And I'm going to read verse 26 for some context. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the, mo- for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said and answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he, whom he has sent. And they said in, therefore unto him, What sign shows you that we may see and believe you, and what do you work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread of the water from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he that comes down from heaven and, and gives life unto the world. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. So Jesus told them that they were only following him because they had eaten some food. <laughs> All right. Uh, and they were looking for miracles. And then they, their answer back, interesting in verse 28. And they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And I find this very interesting question from them. And it's the question that people ask all the time. What do I need to do for whatever to happen? And we as human beings tend to like this idea of just give me the, the five steps to heaven, the, the 20 steps to salvation, uh, the 15 steps to riches, whatever it might be. Just give me a bunch of things that if I do steps one, that I will be getting what I want. And so their question to them, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? is something that I've seen over time everybody's always going well what do I have to do what makes me a good Christian how do I have to live out live, live to do God's work what do we have to do they were used to the 613 commandments in the Old Testament and they're going okay well, which of these are the most important what you know how do I, how God wants us to do and this is the answer people give all the time just tell me what to do so that I can do it. Now the problem with that statement is even when you are told what to do, you follow those. And if God gave us 50 rules to, to do the works of God, we wouldn't do the 50 rules. Even if he gave us five or six, we wouldn't do the rules. Because the sin nature would not allow them to do us. And their answer is so simple, they're going, just tell us what we need to do. And it says, our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it was written. 
He gave them bread from heaven to Jesus, you gave us food. one prophets he was the writer of the Pentateuch and so in their mindset they're raising him real high we're raising you to to Moses's level but in reality they're dropping him from God and they're going our our fathers did eat the manna uh, and he gave them bread and so he's saying you gave us food and remember, they wanted to make him, Jesus walked out of their sight because they were ready to make him king because he was able to feed them with practically nothing. And now, you know, Moses, Moses fed the people. Moses fed them. And this is the thing that the, the problem that we have so often, when people see miraculous things, they see great works done, they start to attribute them to the In Moses' case, the people always look to Moses. Look what Moses did. Look what Moses did. And Jesus is going to correct that whole attitude. He goes, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread of heaven. He goes, It wasn't Moses. You keep saying Moses did this. Moses gave you the tabernacle. Moses gave you the Ten Commandments. Moses gave you manna. Moses gave you water. And his correction on that, Moses did not do anything. In this particular case, he's sticking with manna. But he could have said it on any of the things that they raised Moses to do. He goes, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And so he says, you want manna? You know, basically saying, you want manna? You really should want the true bread. The true life goes, for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. The bread of God which he comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And this word for life is Zoe life. That's the spiritual life, the true life in the, in the Greek that they use. And it says, God sent down the bread so that you could have true life. Not just physical life, not just an existence, but to have complete life. And this is the great news for us as Christians is we have Zoe life. We have spiritual life. And we become very real. We become one with God and we get fulfilled in a way that we aren't fulfilled until, we, until the Spirit comes and lives in us. And when the Spirit comes and lives in us, then we get this Zoe life, that excited, vibrant life. Before that, it is just a bios life. I'm just, I'm in existence. I'm an animated body. No, no, no peace, no comfort. Uh, looking, looking for that comfort. And Jesus said, I am the life. I am the one, that, the, the true bread. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. This, this kind of sounds familiar to the woman at the well in Samaria. You know, tell me the, you know, tell me, she, there he was living water, and she goes, how do I get this water that I don't have to come to the well anymore to, to, to draw water? And here he's telling them that the, the true bread of life is coming from heaven, and they're doing the same thing. Tell us how to get this bread. What are they thinking? 
weren't thinking about the bread of life. They were thinking about how can I not have to work for, work for food? How can, I, how can I get around this whole pro process? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on, on me shall never thirst. But he said unto them, that you also have seen me and believe not. So he says, his statement here is very clear. I am the bread of life. You want that bread of life? I am. I am the bread of life. And this is very interesting because he is really introducing who he is. And the very fact that he says, I am, is also a process for them because he's equating himself with God at that point. He is the one that brings the life. He's the one that came down from heaven is what he's saying. And he goes, I am that bread of life, Zoe life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Do you want true spiritual life? How do we get it? We eat and drink of Jesus or be filled with that spirit. And this is the most important thing that we can do, understanding that we are filled by the spirit. And when the spirit comes into us, which is, of course, Jesus, because God and the Father and the Son and, uh, and the Holy Spirit are one. So when we're filled by the Holy Spirit, we have the bread of life and we consume the word of God. And this is a very important aspect of the word of God. The word of God is life. I love getting into the Word of God and getting that life, teaching me how to walk. Because their question was, how do, how, how do we work the works of God? And he says, I am. I am that bread. I am the one that you're going to do because you need the bread. And once we're saved, it's no longer give me a list of works to do. It's a relationship with God that says, this is how I live because now I am becoming one with God and I'm thinking like God and I'm starting to act more like him not because I'm following a bunch of rules but because he is changing me from the inside out because of the life that he's giving me and I'm now able to change and he goes then he goes very quickly he says but I say unto you that you have seen me and believe not this story that I hear so many times from Christians, you know, well, it's so hard to have faith. If I had been one of those Jewish believers way back in the, in the Exodus, I would have believed in God. No, you would have been just as bad as they were because seeing is not truly believing. When we see things, doesn't, especially in our day, but even back then, when you saw something, you didn't always believe it. But to be taught from the inside out when God comes into us, then we start believing. And it was Jesus' chastisement to Thomas. You know, those, Thomas said, you know, he wasn't in the upper room when Jesus showed up the first time. He goes, except I see him and put my hand in his fingers and my hand in his side, I won't believe. And then when Jesus showed up, he said, Lord, I believe. And he didn't even, it doesn't tell us that he did put his hand in his, in his you know, side or his fingers in the, in the holes. He saw Jesus and finally believed, but he saw Jesus. He saw what he was lacking faith for. And we need to be always focused on Jesus. And, you know, what is he looking for? He is the one that fills us. He is the one that helps us make decisions. 
And it's so interesting because you'll tell people, well, what you need to do is pray and study the Word and get to know God. And they'll go, well, that's too easy. I, I, you know, and what they're really trying to tell you is I still want the, the 21 steps to, to, to pleasing God. Don't tell me to do these easy things. And, and, but you know, I wonder sometimes, it's so easy that people won't do them. They won't pray, they won't, they won't seek God, they won't look for a spiritual answer. They're looking for how, you know, how can I know the will of God? Well, the will of God is by knowing God. You get to know Him and then you will know His will. And very, very interestingly, you know, how do we know what somebody's going to do? When, when somebody's married for several years or just has a really good friend for years at a time, you know what that person likes. You know what that person wants to do. If you're going to plan a party for them, you know exactly who to invite and what items to put on the, put on the menu and where to, where to have it. If we truly know God, we will begin to know His will. And we won't be going, well, I just don't know God's will. Will we know exactly what it is? No, but we'll know what He desires, what He cares about, and, we know, and we'll start acting the way He wants to be act, have us act. And this is what Jesus told them, go, you have seen me and you still don't believe. You, know, you have seen me, you've heard me, I've been teaching, and you still do not believe in what you are seeing. And this is very true, and I've seen that over and over, that people just won't believe. They'll see the acts of compassion from Christians, they'll see the kindness from Christians, and they still won't believe in God without the Holy Spirit ministering to them. And this is what Jesus is saying. You see, I may feed the people. You've seen me heal the people. You've heard my words, and you're still not believing that I came from heaven. And that's, I can understand from, from, from that perspective, it would be hard to believe to, that you're looking at somebody and you're going, this is God from heaven. And I understand that. It would be a very tough call to make. And they're not believing that. He says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me and him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should rise up, it up again unto the last day. And it shall be the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him shall have everlasting life and I will raise him up in the last day. So here is Jesus telling them why he's there and what's going on. And says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. These, are, these verses in this section are very much the proofs of eternal life. That when you're saved, you're not going to lose, lose your salvation. And I've heard people go, well, I chose to come to Jesus so I can choose not to come, you know, not to follow. Well, if you are truly one of his, it says, and everyone that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. No wise. He will not throw the person away that comes to him. No matter what they do, if they're truly his. Now, that's the question that comes down to it. Are you truly his? And... And I know that they'll read the verses that you can't, you know, you can't continue in sin. And, and, the, and the problem with those continue in sin verses are that the case in the Greek is continual, always continue. Not 
try to struggle with it. It says, all the Father gives me shall, not, shall come to me. One of the things that is a true statement is if you come to him, you are, you are elected and predestined to be his. Period. If I choose to follow him, I've definitely been elected and predestined to follow him. If I don't, then I was elect, not elected and predestined. Every single person will have heard the word of God. Somehow. They will know that they, deserve, that they, that they need God. How they respond is going to be up to them. How do I match this God's sovereign will and predestination with man's free will? I don't know. I'm not that smart. All I know is that God teaches both. Whosoever will, will be saved. And that he also predestines and elects. Now, I'm not Arminian. I don't say that because God knew the future, he, he made his plan according to who was going to and who was not going to. But I also don't believe that somebody could want to have, follow God and say, well, sorry, you're not predestined, so you're not going to heaven. All I know is that once you're his, you're his. And once you've made that decision, nothing else is going to happen. And that's, that is what I do know for sure, because that's what the Bible says. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is so important. Why do we do the things we do? Too many times for, for us as humans, our desire is to do what we want to do, no matter what. And there are times when we know that God wants us to do something and we just refuse to do it. There's times when we might even have a spouse and wants us to do something. We're not going to do it because we're going to do our thing. And this is really the hard part. Jesus said that the one who wants to be ruler needs to be the servant of all. Jesus came to serve the Father and also humanity. He came to do them. How many times, you know, I read the schedule that Jesus kept. I'm going, it sounds exhausting. He'd get up early in the morning to pray and then be swarmed all day long. That to me would be exhausting enough. Just to be around people all day long would be exhausting enough. And then they're all wanting something from him. Not just swarmed around to be listening to and all that, but they all wanted something all day long. That would be tough. You know, I'm just not, a, I'm not that kind of a per people person, and that would be exhausting. And yet, the next day, he'd start it all over again. And then the next day, he'd do it all over again. And he says, I've come to do the will of the Father, not my own will. And this is something very important for us. Are we looking to do the will of the Father? Whatever that might be. If God wanted me to be exhausted all the time by a whole crowd of people 24-7, you know, 12 hours a day, then I guess I would get used to being mobbed for 12 hours a day. It's not my style. And I guess from what I hear, most of the actors and actresses and singers and sports people get tired of that constant mobbing. Even though they think they want it at first, it gets to be old after, after a period of time. And Jesus spent his life ministering with that kind of a mob sensation. You know, he's over there, and all of a sudden, everybody shows up. And he says, I'm here to do the will of him that sent me. And Jesus had a submission to the Father. He and God, the Father, and Jesus were equal. And yet, he submitted himself to whatever the Father wanted him to do. He says, we're equal, but I'm going to do what the Father wants me to do. And this is very important for us, because so many times we think, 
we as human beings get to this idea that, well, I'm so important or I'm so special, you know, everybody needs to be taking care of me. And we need to be very careful of that attitude that we're looking to reach out to others. Uh, Saul started, you know, King Saul started out as a very humble man, but he very quickly wanted everybody to pay attention to him. And when David started getting rewards, he's, he got very jealous of David because he says, the people love him more than they love me. What more can he have but my kingdom? David, from everything we can see, seems to have stayed pretty humble for his life and not, not demanded things. And we see this over and over in great leaders that they are out to help others. How can they help others? And that love for others then gets rewarded back in many cases, but it's, you're not doing it to get rewarded. Now, I've shared with people at very various times, well, if you're kind to people, they will generally be kind to you. And then I've had them go, well, people haven't been kind to me. I go, well, if you're doing it just for them to be kind, you're not doing it for the right reason. That People recognize that it's not genuine. You must genuinely be trying to help somebody to get back that kind of love and care. And all of these principles of the scripture are not there to be manipulated tools so that I can get my way. I'm going to be real nice to everybody. I'm going to put them up for us, and then, then they're going to put me up. Well, if that's my mentality, then I'm doing it for the wrong reason. My mentality is I truly want to see others get blessed. The parent who raises their child usually wants their child to be in a better place than they are. You know, I want my kids to be better schooled, better jobs, better, better place than I was, not because I'm going to, you know, well, now, now that I'm old, they got to take care of me. I want them in a better place so they can take care of me. No, that's not why I'm putting them because I really, truly care about them. And this is my hope as, as a pastor. I want to see people grow to the place where maybe one day you guys are better than I am at everything I do because I'm not that good at a lot of things. Get better at teaching. Get better at, at study. Get better at knowledge. And that's my ultimate goal. I want to see everybody, if they outdid me, that's great. This is what Jesus is saying. I want to do the will of the Father. The Father's told me to do things, and I want to do what he wants. And he's looking down the road at all the many Christians. And what did he tell the disciples when he left? You will do greater things than I did. Now, that's hard to imagine because he's healing people and raising people from the dead and teaching and yet we see what happened in Christianity. Twelve, well, eleven men, seems how Judas is gone. Eleven men turned the world upside down with the gospel of Christ and changed everything about the Roman Empire and changed many, many countries that followed Christianity and raised the value of women and got rid of slavery and many of other things, that all the things that Christianity has done from small group just being faithful and saying we want to lift up Christ we want to see him lifted up and it goes and this is the father's will and this is very important if anybody wants to know the father's will Jesus said and this is the father's will that has sent me that all which he have given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again in the last day Jesus says I'm not going to lose any of those that come to me and in the last day, they'll all be resurrected, at least the ones that are dead. 
which is virtually all. Uh, but this is our great hope as a Christian. The absolute worst thing that can happen to me is I live to be a ripe old age and, and don't die. That's not going to happen because everybody dies. Great statistic is, you know, is everybody will absolutely be sure to die unless we get raptured. But everybody who's born will die eventually. The good news for us is that we will come back to life and live again in a re-resurrected body that will be a body for us and we will live for the rest of eternity in that new resurrected body. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him shall have, may have everlasting life and I will raise him up in the last day. So again, he repeats it. When you see him, you will have everlasting life. And I love these words, everlasting and eternal life, because that means one thing. If God gives me life, it's everlasting. God is not an Indian giver. He is not somebody who's going to take it away. So if he gives me everlasting, eternal life, I have everlasting, eternal life. And can't lose it. And so this is the key on this. And when does everlasting life start? The moment we receive Jesus. And this is the key to this whole process. Many people believe that my everlasting life doesn't start, doesn't start until the day that I die and I enter into heaven. It starts when I get Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him hath everlasting life. Hath has right then at that moment everlasting life not will have not shall have but does have everlasting life most people don't no we have we have everlasting life the moment we accept jesus christ so i'm not having everlasting life someplace in the future i'm having everlasting life the moment i accept jesus because at that point, God comes into me and gives me that Zoe spiritual life, revives my spirit, and makes me a trichotomy again, body, soul, and spirit. Do we actually grab hold of these and say, I am saved? When I got, when I got saved at age 10, I got saved, and God gave me life, and I got changed. It takes him living in us to truly have life and be fulfilled. And this is what's important because when, I'm, when I get that spirit in me, I have life. And I really start understanding what life is. And when I have that life, I don't worry about what am I missing or anything because I've got life. And, you know, as a Christian, I, I don't see, you know, I don't ever live like I'm missing a bunch of stuff or, or you know, how, you know, what, you know, what am I... You know, I've had people, well, you're, you're just a Christian. You've missed out on all the fun. Yeah, I, I go, yeah, I really missed out on the fun. You got so drunk and wasted last night, you don't remember what you did. Here's all the po pictures they posted on you having fun. Does it look like you're having fun? Well, it was the life of the party. Well, aren't you a little embarrassed? Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed. Where is true life from on all of this? And this is verse 4. And the Jews then murmured at him because, said, uh, he, because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he can say, I came down from heaven? In other words, you're just a mere mortal. How can you be saying that you came down from heaven? You're just a man. We know your mom and dad. 
How can you be saying that you're, that you're from heaven? How can you tell us that you're from heaven? We know who you are. And this is, this is kind of an interesting statement that people make. And it's hard sometimes to break away from this I know who you are mentality of people. Uh, people will look at somebody who's newly saved and go, and they don't realize that there's a new life in Christ, and they will challenge that oftentimes. And it's hard to get away from that, that attitude that people have about you. We know who you are. This is what their attitude about Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They know who they were, or in Jesus' case, where he came from. But they, they don't know that person and the change that God has put into their life. And this is the beauty of this. When God truly gets hold of our life, we're a new creation. When are passed away, behold, all things have become new. And here they think they know who Jesus is. And I've seen this happen even in churches where some, when a young person will start getting past their years and they start getting to where they're starting to be used by God. And a lot of the older people go, well, I remember you. You were the one that was playing in the baptismal that, you know, when you were six years old. You were the one that was playing hide and seek in the, in, the ca- in the cabinets. You're the one that was getting into all the cabinets. And they don't recognize that that person is now a matured person who is making a decision. So uh, too many times people remember the past against others. And this is very important for us to forget the past. Unless somebody's going to continue to bring up their past and live in their past, if somebody tells me they're a Christian, I'm going to give them that shot to say, all right, let's see. I know that you have been this or that, but now you're starting to be something different. Let's see how the Spirit is going to use you. And this is where, where they're at. You know, they're going, we know, we, we know who you are. How can you be from heaven? And this bothered them because basically he was saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the anointed one, I'm the son of God. And they're going, son of God, we know, we know Joseph and Mary, your mother and father, so how can you be the son of God? They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew very clearly what he was saying at this point. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day as is written by the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath heard, learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he that is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that, which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the world, uh, for the life of the world. So Jesus giving him more, more comments. He goes, murmur not amongst yourself. He heard them complaining that, you know, Joseph and Mary are your mother and father. How can you be coming from heaven? And then he goes on to say, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this is that, this is that verses that you were kind of talking about a little earlier. You have to be drawn. You have to be drawn by the Spirit. Now we also know there's an, a, a general call to every single person in the world. Every single person has the opportunity to come to Christ. But at the same time, there's only certain ones that are drawn. 
again, how do we combine these two with everybody and, and certain ones? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to be God. God has no problem with it. Even though I can have problems with this sometimes. God, how can everybody have a chance, but only the ones drawn are actually going to come to you? And I don't know. So he says, except they be drawn, and I will raise them up. As it is written by the prophets of this Isaiah 50, 54, 13, he says, every man that they shall all, they shall be all taught of God. This is very important for us to understand. God will show himself to everybody in some way. And every once in a while somebody, well, what about the pygmies in, uh, in Australia or the people in the deepest darkest of Africa? God says all of them will be shown. Now how he does that, I don't know. The conscience bears witness to us because when we do something wrong, our conscience will bear witness. And there's always groups of people that know that they need God, that they need God. They cannot do it. And God will judge everybody by the amount of light they have. Those of us who know God's word, we have a greater responsibility because we know his word. And there's great judgment upon America and, and Europe because we know those nations have known God's word for a long time. But it's very amazing that people will not obey their own laws. They won't obey the laws of their country, the, the laws of their civilization. Most of us won't even obey our own laws. We're getting ready to come on to January 1st. And how many people make New Year's resolutions on December 31st? I am going to do such and such. And usually they're broken before the first day is already over and definitely by the first week. They've broken every one of their resolutions in most cases. We can't even keep our own rules for ourselves. So God will say, well, you didn't keep my rules, but you didn't keep, and you, oh, you didn't know my rules? Okay, you didn't keep your nation's rules. Oh, you didn't know my, your nation's rules, which would be hard to believe. You didn't keep your, your, your family or your clan's rules. You didn't even keep your own rules. I will, I will do such and such, and we don't keep them. And God says, you violated, you, you are just so evil, you can't keep any rule. Even your own rules. And it's very amazing that gangs have rules, motorcycle gangs have rules, the prisoners have rules. They may not be the same rules we would think of, but they have rules. And most of them can't keep their own rules. <laughs> so if you hear from God, you will come to Jesus if you truly hear. And this is the key. Do people truly hear the word? And when you do hear it, it'll be something. And I've shared this many times. I can't tell you how many times I heard somebody say, and the first time I heard the gospel was this particular day and I got saved. Well, I agree with you. When you heard the, word, heard the Father, you got saved. Now, it wasn't necessarily the first time you heard the gospel in your brain, but it was actually the first time you heard the word. And this is very much true, and it's hard sometimes when you pour into somebody's life, you pour into you give them the gospel, and they never respond seemingly. And you wonder, am I wasting my time? And I'm going to say the answer to that is no. God's word does not return void. Over and over again, people have heard the word of God, and eventually, if they're going to actually hear, they'll come. But many do. And sometimes they have to hear a dozen times, or you know, four or five times, a hundred times, whatever it might be, we give the word, we give the gospel, and 
so that eventually they will come to Jesus. And then he says in verse 46, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Who is he referring to himself at this point? Who has seen me? But it's very interesting that as we as Christians, that we don't physically see him, we know that we know him. We get that experience that we get to know God. I get to be in a relationship with God and follow him and get to know him and get into his word and get to learn of him and follow him. And this is why I know that I know God because I am in a relationship with him. I have not physically seen him, but I know what he wants. I know that he speaks. I know that he has directed my life. And then he goes, Verily, verily, I say unto him, He that believeth on me has everlasting life. So he starts it all over again. He that believeth, he that is persuaded, not just believes that Jesus existed, because that's easy. Any true historian, any true skeptic cannot say that Jesus didn't live because there's too many proofs that Jesus lived. But that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to persuaded that I am who I say I am, and I say I'm the bread of life, I say I'm the, the, the one that came from heaven. Are you persuaded that I am God, that I am him? And it's a very old statement, but you know a lot of people go, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. Well, good teachers don't claim to be God. Well, you know, and that's a very important thing. You know, a lot of people go, well, he was a good man. Again, good men don't claim to be God. He would, that would make him a liar, right? And this is what they'll tell us, you know, there's an old saying that he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? He is either exactly who he says he is, Lord, who gets all the credit that he deserves as Lord, or he is a flat-out liar, that can't be believed in anything that he says, or he's an absolute lunatic. Now, he thought he was God. All right? So he's either who he is, or a lunatic, or he lied. I'm going to believe that he's Lord. I want to treat him as Lord. And this is what he's saying to them. He that believes on me has everlasting life. And that believing is that he is God. He is Lord. And not just believing. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe Napoleon lived. I believe Jesus lived. Yeah. No, he is Lord. What are we? What are we wanting to believe about him? He goes. I am the bread of life. He goes. If you want life, you have to eat of him. And consume him. And this is very important on this aspect of it. And he goes back to what they were talking about. Your fathers did eat men in the wilderness and are dead. All right? They ate that physical manna and then they died. Now, it took them a long time to die, but they, he goes, they're, they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that man may eat thereof and not die. So he life that you will not die. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give him is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He says, I am this. I am the one. 
These statements that Jesus made about being the bread of life and eating his flesh had some problems for Christianity that Christianity was considered cannibals. <laughs> that you guys eat, you guys eat the, the, the flesh of your, of your people, especially your leader. And it was really hard for the, especially when the Catholic Church came along because they believed in what's called trans, transfiguration, trans, I forgot. Transubstantiation. I knew the name was Jim. And they're going, and which says that when you eat the, eat the wafer, it actually becomes the body of Christ in you. And you, when the wine is entering into you, it actually becomes the blood of Christ. And they had lots of problems with that. You know, you guys, you guys are a bunch of cannibals. And this is what Jesus is saying. He goes, I am this bread. If you eat of me, his word, his, his, his ways of thinking, you are going to be complete. Now the Jews, in verse 52, the Jews thereof strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? All right, they took him literal. They took him literally. It wasn't just his spirit, his, his words. They took him, well, what are we supposed to do? Run up there and start taking bites out of him? Uh, and they're going, how can he tell us that this is going on? Verse 53, then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say, and to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink, the bl drink his blood, you shall have no life. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have has eternal life, and I will raise him again up on the last day. For my flesh is the meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I... I live by the Father, and he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eats of this bread shall live forever. Now I picture this, you know, Jesus telling the, the, these people this, there's no foundation for what they're, what they're hearing. They don't know that he's going to go to the cross and die for them. They don't know that he says, I am. They're not fully understanding that he is the word. They're not understanding that referring to is more spiritually minded, that you eat of my flesh because he says, I am the word. And literally. And this has been a problem down through, down through history that, you know, they're taking this very literally. They're not taking it as a spiritual truth that he's going through. And he says, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall have no life in you. In other words, take and consume him. How do we consume him? He is the Word. John, John started the book, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, consuming God's word and getting to fill ourselves with him. And then, of course, the blood was when he died on the cross and he covered our sins with his blood. And we do this even when we take the Lord's Supper. We commemorate this whole event and saying we eat his flesh and drink his blood in, in a very symbolic way to fulfill what he says that's going on at this point. He says... Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's got a theme going here. We'll raise him up on the last day. If you're his, you're going to be raised up on the last day. And he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. 
and this is the most important thing for us. When we get into the word, we accept Jesus Christ, we dwell in him and in us. There is this really vital union that makes us one. And Jesus, this is why Jesus calls the church his bride. They are made one. Just as Adam and Eve were told, you know, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, and he goes, you will leave your mother and father and you will cleave together and become one. And in Jesus' case, it becomes even more literal because the spirit is so entwined into us that we become one with him. It doesn't mean that we become God, but we are so entwined with him that we become one with him. And there's really no difference. And this is why it is really hard for people to say, we're going to become one with Jesus and then we're going to be thrown away because we don't, we don't believe something that's right or we, or, we, or we commit a sin. And he's going to just say, well, we're one, but I'm going to rip you out and, and throw you away. Do we not understand? And the answer to that is mostly no, we don't fully understand. We don't understand what God has done and why he's done it. When he died on the cross, he took all of our sins, and when he came into us, he became one with us, covered us with his righteousness, and it really doesn't matter anymore because we are his. The only thing that we can do to not go to heaven is reject him and stand before God in our own righteousness. And he goes, we are one. He goes, as the living Father has sent me, and I live in the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. So he says, the Father has sent me, and you must consume me. The word of the Father, the Spirit. How do we get into this? And we, then that's how we live. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eats of this bread shall live forever. And this has taken us into a spiritual realm, outside of the physical. There's nothing I can eat physically that'll give me eternal life. There's nothing I can drink in this physical world that will, that will leave me not thirsty. But when I go to God, I can eat the word, I can eat the flesh, and then I start the, the flesh of the word, and I start understanding this is life. I drink in the spirit and I end up having no more thirst. So Jesus is talking in a spiritual sense. They're thinking a literal sense and they have a problem with it. And the world has had a problem with it ever since. Because there's still many that will look at this and say it is literal. We've got to take it literal. I want to try to finish this. It's just a couple more verses. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, this is said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? So people were hearing this. They, they are physically and not spiritually. And they're going, this is hard. This is hard. Why? We can't understand this. Verse 61 says, And when Jesus knew in himself the disciples murmured, he said, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where, where he was before, it is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
But there are some of you that believe not. So here is what Jesus is saying to them. He goes, you know, what do you want to do? You want to see me return back to heaven? Is that, will that be enough? He goes, it is the spirit that quickens. This is why we're talking to you about physical things, but it's actually spiritual things. He goes, the spirit quickens. The spirit makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. When I share the gospel with people, I can't tell you how many people I've heard tell me they don't understand the flesh profits nothing. Anything done in the flesh is worthless. And those people who want to stand on their own good works will stand before the white throne judgment in their own good works and be judged guilty because they're not perfect. And this is nothing. It goes, the words I speak, they are, pro, are spirit and they are life. He goes, these are spiritual words. They're not, they're not physical words. And he says, but there are some of you that don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning they that were, they that were who they were that would not believe and who should betray him. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. This goes back to where we were talking. He knows the beginning from the end. And, you know, this is an amazing thing. He knew who should betray him. He knew that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him when he picked him. Now, I don't understand that, 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 that at all, other than he needed one of, his, one of his followers to be the one that betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, or 20 pieces of silver. He needed somebody to betray him. And he knew exactly who it was going to be when he, when he picked him. Is that a prophecy? Huh? That was a prophecy. Yep. And he said, Therefore say I unto you that no man can come to unto me except it were given to him of my father. And this is where we get into this whole problem area of who comes to Jesus. You know, can you come and we have all the whosoever will verses, and then we have these verses that turn around and say you've got to be called and drawn. And verse 66, from that time. Many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then said Jesus unto them, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve and one of you as a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simeon, for he it was who should betray him, being one of the twelve. So Jesus looked back and he says that, you know, he gives these very we're following him, walked away. Now we always think of the disciples as just the 12 disciples that Jesus called and named, but we're told that there were probably hundreds of them at any one time that were considering themselves as disciples. He had 12 personal ones, hundreds, and then Jesus would say something and many of them would disappear. Say, we can't handle this anymore and, and, and go away. And then more would come and then more would fall away. By the time they're at, at the upper room, there's 120 of them in the upper room. And Pentecost and, and the ascension, 
we get up to 500 people that saw Jesus resurrected. So lots and lots of people have seen him. And when all these people looked at the 12 and said, will you also go away? Will you, will you also depart? Are you all going to be offended by me? And Peter, Peter's, I love Peter. He was so, so bold in most cases. Go, Lord, who all, where should we go? You have words of eternal life. I really do think Peter had a really interesting relationship with Jesus. He had a little bit of pride issues and a little bit of other things, but you know, he was always like, I'm going to be the first to speak. I'm going to, I'm going to do things. He goes, we, we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And Jesus challenged him and go, have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? Can you imagine how this hit the twelve disciples? You know, who, which one of us? Which one of us? And later on we're told there, when he says one of you is going to betray me, they're going, is it I? They all were wondering if they had the capability this point I think they're looking which one is it he betrayed you how would he have enough courage to betray the, the, the son of God the, the anointed one why would he betray him and yet Jesus says one of you is a devil that's strong language you know, this wasn't even one of you is a devil you know I can almost imagine them all kind of going like Okay, we've been hanging out with these guys. Which, which one of these guys is a devil? And it's definitely not the one that they would have picked. Yeah. Judas Iscariot was, was the respected one. He carried the money bag. He carried their money. He was a respected individual. A tax collector. Or the zealot. Because he was a one to want to fight Rome. One of them that's a devil. But nobody was looking at Judas Iscariot. And then John goes out to say, spoke of Judas Iscariot, for he it was that would betray him, because uh, he's now talking from the past in there. At the time, he'd, at the time of the, at the, that it was said, he would not have known that that was what was happening, that it was going to be Judas. I am the bread of life. He is life. If we doubt the life of that we have in us, then we need to be looking at drawing closer and consuming more of Christ and getting more in tune with the Spirit and saying, I want to know that I am His, that I am Yours. Lord, we ask You to bless this evening. Help us to understand more about Your life. Help us to seek You in all that we do and to follow You in all that we do. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured of eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. 
Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.